When you think about it, a song from an album peaking at only number 30 on the charts, a record which featured just one single that only made it to number 63, a collection that was panned by The Village Voice for lyrics with, quote, metaphorical impenetrability, unquote, lyrics that the group's domineering frontman admittedly improvised but never rewrote and probably largely took from an uncredited band member like he did with so much of their music so many times in their time together. A song which was buried in the middle of side two on this album would not have a lasting impact. But think twice, because the group is the band and the song is Chest Fever from their debut, Music from Big Pink. What the song and the album lacked in immediate success was more than made up for over time, because Music from Big Pink cast a shadow that became longer and longer over the following decades and set the stage for a historic run for one of the most celebrated groups in all of rock and roll. Music from Big Pink started out completely against the grain, arriving in 1968 when psychedelia was all the rage, a time when producers like George Martin elevated the recording studio to heights no one dreamed of before. In the middle of all that, the band came on the scene with a record that had exactly zero overdubs. With a mindset that was forward-looking in its originality, but with a sound rooted in classic forms. It was an album that would come to define roots rock and Americana, and went on to be heralded as one of the greatest records of all time. And it contains a song that became a mainstay of the group's live sets. One of the few rockers on the collection, an unlikely hero of a song, housed in an unexpected masterpiece. And it's pretty weird, but still wildly popular in live sets especially. I found 181 versions of Chest Fever, played by groups like John Mayer, Tishomingo, and Phil Lesh and Friends, among others, on archive.org, for example. Many groups, starting with the band itself, begin the live version of the song with its longer intro, dubbed The Genetic Method. With its quote of Bach's Fugue in D minor, the version of that song, which you are hearing now, is from the band's live double album Rock of Ages, taken from their show at the Academy of Music on December 31st, 1970. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, and in this episode, I'm joined by Armando Belmas of the music newsletter Eclectico and Public Radio WNCW, and Rob Turner, a fellow Osiris Media colleague who co-hosts Inside Out with Turner and Seth, both of whom dig deep into the band and their song Chest Fever, an enigmatic song that will come into at least a little bit better focus once you hear their takes on it here on Southern Songs and Stories. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jam Bass, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. 
Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org. So when it comes to lyrics, there are several categories that fall outside the lines of what is straightforward and easy to understand. There are nonsense lyrics, like this hit from The Crystals. There are lyrics that are impossible to understand, like this and practically everything else in R.E.M.'s early catalog. And then there are lyrics that are hard to figure out. And I said, oh, I didn't know that. But then again, there's only one I've met. And he just smoked my eyelids and punched my cigarette. Bob Dylan fits well here because there is so much speculation and debate about what his songs mean, as well as his direct involvement with the band. Which brings us back to our topic, chest fever. Here's Rob Turner followed by Armando Belmas. Well, I'd like to point out that um, back in 1983, when the band reunited and hit the road again, I was a big deadhead chasing the Grateful Dead around. So I got to see them open for the dead at the Carrier Dome in the fall of 83. And um, and then after that, they opened at New Year's Eve and uh, uh, at, out in Oakland. And I, I had an opportunity to go to that as well. And a friend of mine made a recording off the radio. And Chest Fever was one of three songs I couldn't identify. And so I really, from the get-go, was uh, diving into the lyrics. And my, my opinion of the song has very much evolved over the years. I definitely thought it was about a woman at the time. I think it's very different about something very different today. But of course, any meaning anyone takes from any song is their meaning, and they have every right to that. I don't mean to identify any lyrics for anyone else. This I'm just talking about, and I'm sure Armando will be too, about my personal opinion, what I take from it. And, you know, and this song for me has always, uh, the, the standout has always been Garth and his like real creepy, uh, symphonic dominating organ. I mean, even when the band is, all the guys are yelling and screaming and there's guitar licks and drum beats and all that other stuff, there's still this bubbling of an organ under it and that's always been the thing for me that's kind of stuck out about this song and and until you brought up the idea for this podcast joe i hadn't ever really thought too much about the words um because when you have all these great band songs that have all these great lyrics and you've got this real confusing one it's always like well all right let me just put this one off to the side and i'll keep singing the weight or cripple creek or something like that which I can understand, but this one, I'm going to put this one over to the side for a little bit. And so it, it, was, it was great to have this exercise of listening to it over and over and over again um, and, and trying to decipher what the words mean, if anything. And I don't think I've figured it out. Well, if I may jump on that, the Garth uh, Hudson intro became so distinct and such its own thing that it... it, it eventually got its own title genetic method when the when the when in subsequent version versions after music from big pink when they did it live and i guess it's a little bit of bach and a lot of uh just 
improv. I mean, he would do it differently every time. The Grateful Dead New Year's show that I saw, he even dropped in the NBC logo or something that sounded like it just before he started it. <laughs> and he went a little extended, perhaps knowing the crowd he was in front of. He, he extended the intro a little longer. And um, he was experimenting a lot on music from Big Pink. If you listen to the beginning of Wheels on Fire, there's a really cool, uh, some organ work on that. And a few production people should look into how he achieved that. It's really, uh, it's really cool and too detailed for me to, to convey, but I would look into that any audio people out there. And Garth was really looking to do new stuff because their ethos, they're, they've since stated that their ethos at the time was to make something that had never, that sounded like nothing else that had ever been done anywhere before. And I think they got it, yeah. I would agree, yes. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the the live versions, um, especially like the one that you saw when when Garth really went went all out on that genetic method. Lately, I've been listening to um, those those uh, live at the Academy shows from 1971 that Rock of Ages came out of, but then were reissued a couple of years ago in a big box set, and they did two shows and the pretty similar set list both nights, but. Um, the, the genetic method each night is just a little bit different, but then he also starts to add all this other stuff. Like since they're new year's shows, he adds all Lang Syne in there. Um, and then it, it, I mean, they go on for about seven minutes. So they're, they're really intricate. I don't know if the one that you saw was that long or, or if you can even remember being it so long ago, but man, it was just, it's a, it's a thing of its own. And then when they kick into the chest fever both nights the intro to the song is completely different one it's a really low rumbling organ and the next night it's a little bit higher organ you know maybe it just depends on what they were on that night but man they were on for sure which is refreshing because the band god bless them there's so much to love about them but one of the things that keeps me from listening to them more is that their, their versions can be very similar from version to version and genetic method was quite the opposite Sure was. Coming up, friction in the band, which was evident from the very start, including in the songwriting credits for Chest Fever. After a bit more of genetic method leading into Chest Fever from the band's live collection, Rock of Ages. I read a band biography years ago, and actually I just picked up, uh, over the weekend, picked up a, a Levon Helm bio that uh, Sandra Tews wrote. Um, 
we, but right now I'm, I'm still over at the beginning part where, where Levon is just hooking up with the Hawk and, and, and drinking a lot and getting a lot of, getting a lot of women, more women than Frank Sinatra. So, uh, that was, that's Ronnie Hawkins, um, quote, not, not my own, but anyways, um, I don't remember that part and thinking about the album now. Yeah, it is, there is, there, it is a pretty rootsy, mellow record, um, but again, man, chest fever just has never really, it, until this ep, this exercise, it never really stood out. It was just this anomaly on that record and, and everywhere else it popped up. Uh, so yeah, don't know. I do think Le- Levon has identified it as a sort of a poster child for uh, how Robbie Robertson could be stingy with the songwriting credit sharing. And uh, he, Robbie even said himself that the lyrics were improvised and that he had every intention of rewriting them. And, you know, that it was one of the first songs they recorded for the record. So they had plenty of time before they even finished the record for Robbie to rewrite them. He chose never to not only not to rewrite them, but also not to credit them, which seems odd. And um, I, I, f- part of the reason I think that it the song may be about heroin is because Robbie says it's just gibberish, because I don't think Robbie Robertson would maybe admit that a song that's that big was was about heroin. But um you know, I do. I know on first six, first reveal, it seems like about a woman. But, you, you know, as my mind unweaves, I feel the freeze down in my knees. But just before she leaves, she being the heroine, she receives. That could be the re-upping. I mean, there's and there's a lot of drug references in it. She's a tracker. Um, uh, she's being down in the dooms. Um it's a long, long when she's gone. I get weary holding on. Now I'm coldly fading fast. I don't think I'm going to last very much longer. I mean, this has addiction written all over it to me. I don't know. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned that when I saw your notes about that, me, the song being, um, you know, perhaps being about using heroin. Uh, and I, I wrote in some notes myself before I saw that, that it sounds like someone waking up from a hallucination of some sort um, where they're excited, nervous, freaked out a little bit, um, voices trailing, because as you hear the guys singing, they're all kind of singing along with each other, but somebody's, you know, Richard's out in front and then, you know, Rick and Levon are kind of trailing behind. And so it's almost maybe not even heroin, but more LSD just or mushrooms just kind of following along. There's all these little voices along along the path it, it, it there's drugs involved for sure and so what is what drug exactly maybe it's a mishmash of drugs you know maybe richard was drinking and somebody else was you know danko was shooting up and you know somebody else was snorting i mean who, who knows because there's just all these um things coming at it at every at every turn and and there's just all being shoved in there it's it's something but the concern for her being gone, that dark, deep concern for her being gone seems more of a uh, opiate thing than a psychedelics thing. I mean, maybe I'm biased because I've done psychedelics in the past, but I never really longed for them. I never worried about running out from them. And I, I've had friends who were addicted to heroin and that was all they worried about. True. Sadly. Yeah. Which I'm told, I'm not, I don't want to recommend anyone do heroin. You shouldn't do heroin. But if you do, I've been told this song is quite, uh, quite an experience for those who are partaking. And those guys, you know, those guys were, were known for their um, generous partaking of things, of everything. Um, 
So it's it, it wouldn't it wouldn't be much of a surprise, you know. But then and, and circling back to the idea of Robbie Robertson, um, perhaps wanting to rewrite it, but never getting around to it, and then just taking the credit for everything the guys just threw in. Uh, I, I wonder, man. You know, here you got this guy, and maybe this is going to take the conversation in a different direction. But here you got this Canadian guy who, no doubt, is super talented. But man, he knows and writes so well about the American South. I can't help but wonder if Levon didn't throw some stuff out there and Robbie just took it all and 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 took credit for it, or even. Or even, you know, the Hawk doing it as well, and, and then Levon just kind of taking all that. Granted, it's it's the history of music for people to, you know, take from others and make it their own, um, unfortunately. But in this case, it, it, it seems Robbie's great, but man, there's 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 definitely all the guys in all the songs. Yeah, you know, there was a lot of discontent in the band about that fact that. Robbie Robertson was getting the lion's share of the writing credit and those royalties that followed. So so this is the beginning of what became very contentious for the group. It seemed like he was more interested in setting himself up for the rest of his life than nurturing his relationships within the band properly for that to last longer than it did. And I think maybe if he had been more generous with the or more appropriate with the songwriting credits, then maybe things wouldn't have been as contentious on the road and that maybe he wouldn't have pushed for the last waltz, which I've come to learn was all his idea to the final concert thing. The other guys weren't, uh, weren't entirely on board with even just that, but he was the guy he was in charge. He was the point man. Somehow a guy, I mean, Levon went with Ronnie first, right? And then he had to talk Ronnie into bringing Robbie into the band to play bass first. Right. I just learned all that. I just learned that recently. I Roy Buchanan played with the Hawks around that time. So huh. I didn't even know that until recently. Yeah, you know, and 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 as far as um, the the songwriting goes, considering also the fact that Robbie didn't really sing, and all the other guys did. I mean, it. it I gotta. I don't know, man. I think there might have been. There might have. I don't know. Did y'all see, have y'all seen, and I don't know, maybe this, this stays in, this comes out, but did y'all see um, any of the Once Were Brothers documentary that came out about a year or two ago? No, and I wanted to. I looked it up, but it was pay-per-view only. It's on one of the services now, so it's it's streamable. But uh, I got to say, man, I started watching it, and I, had to, and I stopped about maybe a halfway through just because I was tired of, of Robbie's ego and, and the other guys not being able to um, speak for themselves. You know, now he controls the narrative. All the other guys are pretty much gone and Garth is not going to talk about anything at these, at this point. So Robbie's in control yet again. And, and it, he, he definitely manipulates the story. It's, it's very disappointing. It's one of the most disappointing things about, about the band. Sadly.
You may think that it is an unusual choice for a show named Southern Songs and Stories to focus on a group with all its members being from Canada, save for its one American. But the roots of the band go back to a roster of musicians from Arkansas, which included their drummer who hailed from the tiny town of Marvel, Lee Von Helm. In the late 50s and early 60s, Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks were one of the hottest bands playing rock and roll. But the group of Arkansans found better pay north of the border in Ontario. When their pianist left the group, Ronnie looked for local talent there and found Robbie Robertson. Some more departures later, Hawkins found more Canadian musicians like Rick Manuel, Richard Danko, and Garth Hudson. Eventually, Ronnie Hawkins found himself booted out of the band he founded, which would go on to back Bob Dylan and then strike out on their own in 1968 with music from Big Pink. Beyond the Arkansas connection, the band's music was firmly rooted in forms that originated in the South, like blues and country. In a parallel with the British invasion, the band held up a mirror to the spirit of music of artists who preceded them from another place, reinvigorating those traditions through their own success. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. What do you think? You can contact us on our social media via Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and you can also drop a line by emailing southernsongsandstories at gmail.com. Please do take a moment and follow the series on the podcast platforms you're using. It will help even more when you give us a top rating, and even more so than that with a good review, because the show's visibility to everyone using those platforms depends largely on followers, ratings, and reviews. Southern Songs and Stories is a part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all the Osiris shows available at osirispod.com. You can also hear new episodes of this podcast on Bluegrass Planet Radio at bluegrassplanetradio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of the series on WNCW and to Joshua Ming, who wrote and performed our theme songs. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. I think they 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 um, brought Dylan around when 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 the, it was a big deal. So for in Rock of Ages, and in the Academy of Music um, collections, they're the same. Um, he comes out, does some songs at the end, and then they sh- you know they wheeled him out for the last waltz um, when they wanted to have, you know make their connection um, to him known. Um, I guess can speaking of Dylan can can we even talk about that era of the of Big Pink and the first couple of albums without even mentioning the Basement tapes because that in itself is an incredible collection that runs right along with those first two records um, if not sometimes maybe you know goes up a little bit over it because of of how um, how uh, on the down low it was for the for the longest time before it was officially released. 
Uh, but those 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 songs on the basement tapes are just incredible, and they're they're rootsy, they're Dylan writing stuff, they're the other guys writing stuff, they're all collaborating, um, having a big old time, and that to me sometimes thinking back on on that band era uh, in the late '60s, the basement tapes um, is the record that I always end up going back to because it has that real rootsy flavor. There's no pretense. There's just a bunch of guys hanging out in a big house and, and just recording everything that comes out. Uh, and just singing about going down the road to see Bessie Smith, you know, just yeah, regular right? guys going to a show. 